Amen. Good morning, church. Thank you. It's cold. I don't know if you, but it's not yet winter, but it looks like we're already experiencing it. Amen. Uh, I hope you are wrapping up warm and getting yourself ready for winter. Amen. Well, we thank God for this morning that we've gathered in his presence uh, to hold a service. Amen. I've, I've enjoyed every bit of the service. I wish that I wasn't preaching. I would just continue to just enjoy. Amen. I right, thank God for today. Welcome to another new month, a brand new month, which happens to be the last month of 2021. We thank God that we made it. We are here. We are alive. Um, sitting wherever you are presently, or wherever you might be listening, at this particular point and at this particular juncture, it's, it's a testament to the faithfulness of God. And it's also a statement that you have made that you have prevailed and you have triumphed against all odds. Just think from January up till this present day. There were times you felt you were not going to make it. There were times you felt very overwhelmed. You, you couldn't even know your left from your right. But some way, somehow, here you are seated in one piece. It's a testament to God. Amen. I don't think where we have reached now, we need propping up to worship God. If you do this sort of reflection, if you can't worship and praise God on your own, uh, then I don't know. Amen. Uh, we are grateful. We've taken a two-week hiatus from our series on the book of John, and we continue today. Today is our last installment, and we'll wrap up volume three. Amen. With that said, let's share a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to your people. I pray that you will convict our hearts this morning. And Father, I pray that as we hear this word, may it be of a blessing to us because we practiced, we obeyed, and we applied this word than just hearing it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's wrap up the last few verses of John chapter 13, and then we wrap up volume 3. Amen. So go with me to John chapter 13, verse 18 to 38. John chapter 13, verse 18 to 38. I read. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sends me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. And testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of these disciples whom Jesus loved. So do you know who wrote this particular phrase? It's John. <laughs> Amen. He didn't wait for anybody to give that testimony. He just wrote it himself. I am the one whom Jesus loved. This was not Peter writing. This was not Mark writing. This is John writing about his own son. I am the one whom Jesus loved. Amen. I always find that funny. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask. It was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? So you can sort of see the relationship John had with Jesus. It's just leaning on his bosom. Amen. It, it talks about closeness, real friendship there. Jesus answered, it is, to, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some reason, some were thinking, because Jesus had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received this piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. We stop at verse 30 for now, and we'll, we'll continue the eight verses as we go along. But I want to minister on what I call, are we his disciples indeed? Are we his disciples indeed? Honestly, this message has really got me thinking. I think throughout all the installments of this John series, this is the message that has really, really got me thinking. It's, it really got me thinking a lot and reflecting a lot and even looking at my lifestyle and everything and trying to correlate it. It's, it's a whole lot. And, and it's, it's a good thought. It's a good thought. Sometimes you have to come to that place of self-contemplation, awareness, and reflect. Amen. Sometimes don't just be interested in reading the Bible. Only. You heard what I said? Don't just be interested in reading the Bible only. But be more interested on me and making sure that what you are reading is not becoming a ritual. You are seeing the scriptures that you are reading being embodied, being lived, being practiced, and it should be seen by all men who know that you are professing to be Christian or Christ-like. That is something that all of us should come to a place. Amen. So it's not just being involved in the motions. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to study. I have to pray. All these things are very good. But I've come to realize with time that sometimes we can be involved in some of these rituals that it becomes so repetitive it becomes so mechanical and it loses its power, you know. And then the seasoning of what we are doing is not seen and reflected in our ordinary lives as Christians. So I think we all have to come to that place. And today, 
I think all of us have to answer that question of are we truly on the road of discipleship? And if we are truly on the road of discipleship, are we his disciples indeed? Now, when you know, this is still at the dinner table. You know, Jesus had a meal with his people, which some call the Lord's Supper, others call the Last Supper. Last Supper as relating to this was what he ate, and after that, he, he, he was crucified 24 hours later, or even less than 24 hours, if I should say so. And, you know, this scripture starts off with Jesus quoting David. You know, once upon a time, David wrote this psalm, and he was contemplating about one of his aides that betrayed him. And he said, my own familiar friend in whom I took sweet counsel with has lifted up his seal and betrayed me. And, and the person in question who David was referring to was Ahitophel. Ahitophel was David's chief counselor. In fact, this man was so wise that they couldn't even find any human being to compare Ahitophel to. They compared him to God. That's how wise Ahitophel is. The Bible says that when Ahitophel speaks or when Ahitophel gives a counsel, it's as if the Lord has spoken. This man was very wise. And, and this man joined the, the, the betrayers of David and he was at the other side of David's camp. And of all the people that betrayed David, I think this was the one that really hurt David the most. Because he evoked more emotion than even Absalom even hurting him. You know, David had um, two sons that wanted to go against him. Um, um, uh, Absalom and Adonijah. That was David's sons. Flesh and blood. He gave birth to them. These were people that want to oppose him. They wanted to overthrow him. But David handled it well. Because when I read the scripture, I don't see too much emotion being evoked. Hearing that his two sons wanted to overthrow him off the throne. Uh, maybe perhaps he's thinking like, look, um, daddy, you, what do you know? <laughs> I've been around the block for some time. But when Ahithophel joined the other side of David's camp and, and he was now part of the conspirators that wanted to overthrow David. In fact, he, Ahithophel formed a league of alliance with David and they planned to overthrow David. That really hurt David. It hurt David so much that he prayed an implicatory prayer upon Ahithophel. He said, Lord, I'm finished. This is my chief counselor. Make the counsel of Ahithophel a foolish one. And for the very first time in the history of Ahithophel, he experienced rejection. And he wasn't able to handle rejection very well. Because Ahithophel has always been known to be someone who is wise, he's like a sage. When he gives counsel, that is what is taken. When he, when he speaks, it is like the Lord has spoken. For the very first time in his life, Ahithophel experienced rejection. The Bible lets us know that when he gave a master plan to Absalom, and if Absalom had executed on that plan, David would have been deposed. But because of David's prayer, it had an effect on, on the reception of Ahithophel's counsel. And, and the Bible said that when Absalom received that counsel, he decided to put it aside and take a different counsel. 
And when that happened, the Bible lets us know that Ahithophel became so dejected, he felt so, so rejected that he sat on his horse, went to his house and killed himself just because someone didn't take his suggestion. <laughs> Amen. That's after right there we can learn. Amen. Don't, 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 don't feel too big that when you are rejected, <laughs> you feel that's the end of the world. There, there, there are some people, they will begin to have a mood when they go to meetings and when they ask any contributions. And the reason why we are asking for contributions is we want all the contributions and we will pick the best out of it. So that's the contribution you have given. You have, you have added to the many varied options we will have to take and take out the best one. So if the best contribution is taken and it wasn't your contribution, don't pout and don't be offended. That's the spirit of Ahitophel. Amen. It needs to be cast out. Otherwise, by the time you realize, you might end up like Ahitophel. But this was the one David wrote about. He said, my sweet friend in whom I took counsel has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus decided to use this. You know, Jesus was a student of the Bible too. He wrote this Bible. He decided to take this Bible to make a point. And he said that scripture has to be fulfilled because he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you know how many people Jesus ate bread with? A lot. So it, 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 it wasn't supposed to be Judas, who was supposed to betray Jesus. That's one thing you also have to understand. Okay? At Romans chapter 9, we talked about the sovereignty of God and we talked about has God really designated some people to be instruments of evil and some to be instruments of good? I believe I answered that and many more in Romans chapter 9 when we did our, our study on the book of Romans. So I'll not even be labeled that. But it wasn't only the disciples that ate with Jesus. That's what you have to know. Number two, there were a lot of people. There were sinners. There were tax collectors like Zacchaeus that ate with Jesus. There was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay? Some Pharisees even ate with Jesus like Simon. If you read the Bible carefully, you'll realize that there was a Pharisee called Simon who used to invite Jesus to his house. There was also another Simon called Simon the leper. He also invited Jesus to his house. So there were many people that ate with Jesus. So it wasn't supposed to be Judas per se who betrayed Jesus. And what we have to understand is that Judas' decision to betray Jesus was more of a choice than God per se appointing and ordaining him to be an instrument of evil. And when you read the Bible carefully, the, the, the Bible lets us know that I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. God had chosen the betrayer. For Christ to die, he has to be betrayed. But the singular person who was supposed to be betrayed, it was going to be an act of volition or an act of will. And that's why salvation has been made available to all. Has God designated some people to be of the devil, some to be of Christians? No. But it's an act of volition, an act of will. So we have to try and understand the fairness of God here. God is fair. 
God knows the end from the beginning. But at the end of the day, man's will is also involved here. What you have to understand is that Judas allowed himself to be influenced by the devil and then he betrayed Jesus. But when it comes to, was it Judas that was supposed to betray? Anybody could have betrayed Jesus. That's why I'm saying that there were many people that ate with Jesus. Do you know how many people ate with Jesus? Many people. And that's why Jesus gave such a blanket statement about who will betray him. Because if he would have narrowed down the options, the disciples would have been clever enough to have pointed Judas out. Amen. Now, in verse 19, Jesus said something very powerful. He talked about receiving servants of God. He says that when you receive anybody who professes me, you have received me. And then he goes ahead to say that if you also receive me, you receive the Father who has sent me. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, there's a very important word in there that I want all of us to take notice of. It says, express image. When you read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about Jesus is the express image of the Father. That's a very important word. That means he is the same as God. And that's why that scripture where it talks about narrow is the way now makes sense to me. Because anytime I read that scripture, I used to think of narrow is the way asking how many people will go to heaven versus how many people will go to hell. But now, with my understanding and growth in my Christian experience with God, when Christ talks about narrow is the way, he's talking more about narrow are the options of salvation. You can't bring this broad-mindedness into Christianity. There are not many ways to God the Father. It's only one way. That's Jesus. Not many ways. Not alternative religions or what have you. Or even to be politically correct. None. It's a broad way. And it will lead to destruction. Narrow is the way has more to do with options. You have only Jesus, who is that road to eternal life. And that's why next year, God willing, when we start chapter 14, we are going to delve more into that about what Jesus meant. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Amen. So you can't come to any other avenue aside Jesus to go to God. And that's something that is noteworthy. And that's something that needs to be said. It needs to be said in a place whereby we are practicing interfaith religions. It needs to be said when now we want to have alternative views, alternative um, um, religious faiths and expressions by which we can all commute, as they will even say, to God the Father. It's nothing like that. Broad is the way. That leads to destruction. I, I truly believe that when Christ comes back, a very good number of people will be in heaven. I, I really believe that. It's not really going to be a small number. I really believe a good number of people. So when we are talking about broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Let's look more at options 
of obtaining eternal life. It's very, very narrow. It's Jesus. That's it. Don't have many other alternative ways. Amen. It's important to note that. Now, from verse 21, something for us to learn this morning. You look at how Jesus dealt with a betrayer, also to speak an enemy. And from our passage of scripture, we will realize there were two betrayers, not just one, two. But let's look at how Jesus dealt with them. Amen. The first betrayer in question was Judas. You see, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus was prophetic. He picked it up. But he didn't expose Judas. He covered him. How will you feel if God gives you a prophetic insight into your enemy and your conspirator? Are you going to prove that you are powerful and you are a great man of God by exposing them or you are going to cover them? Think about it. And today, some of the things we celebrate among Christianity, among our churches, is very opposite to what Jesus will do. You can't tell me you are a great prophet because you, 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 God is going to use you to uncover and expose every evil conspiracy or an evil conspirator against you. Jesus ate with one who happened to be his disciple. How will you handle that? When God gives you a prophetic insight into the heart, the intent, and the thoughts of someone who is planning your downfall and probably your demise. But Jesus covered him and didn't expose him. And that's a tough pill to swallow. How will you deal with your enemy? Speaks of your growth. Speaks of the depth of your relationship. Even as a pastor, how I deal with people who will betray me and who will even leave the church, it will expose my depth of relationship with God and it will expose how much I have grown in the Christian faith. Today, my question to you is that, are you really his disciple? Because being a disciple is at a cost. It's something you have to think about. It's not something that we wear on our chest or it's not something that is emblazoned on a t-shirt it is, it is something that it is of a deed. It's worthy of action and not just talk because talk is cheap. Here is Jesus sitting at a table where the desires, the thoughts, the intent, and the heart of his enemy is exposed and at bay. Yet Jesus saw it noteworthy to cover him. What do we learn from this? Jesus was showing us that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, don't confuse that with Jesus condoning the sin. He didn't condone the sin. And don't confuse that with Jesus enabling the sinner. He didn't enable the sinner. 
but love covers a multitude of sins. You see, Jesus could have exposed Judas easily. And if Jesus exposed Judas easily, Judas would have died on the spot. Because Jesus had some crazy people. Do you know that one of Jesus' disciples had a knife on him? We, we never knew until he got arrested. And we will learn about that. How dangerous. Jesus had people whose nicknames were called Sons of Thunder. Can you imagine if these people knew that you are one of our own and you want to betray Jesus? It wouldn't have been easy. He covered them. He didn't expose them. Even though Jesus did not condone the sin and he didn't enable the sinner, he covered his sin. And that's something we can learn. When someone betrays you, when someone has sworn to be your enemy and he's at your mercy, are you going to use the opportunity to practice the Mosaic law? A tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, or you will let it slip and say, because of the love of Christ that constrains me, I will let him stay. And I pray that God will bring him to a place of repentance. But Jesus just left it. He didn't allow Judas to suffer the wrath of his disciples, but he rather covered it. Love. And why did Jesus do this? He did this because of love. And the funny thing is that he still loved Judas and he gave him permission. Whatever you are doing, do it quickly. Even though he was among his true friends and one who had become his enemy, he still saw it in, um, um, okay enough to have some sort of discretion so that Judas could live. And ladies and gentlemen, the Christianity that you and I are supposed to practice is not to kill our enemies. We should let our enemies live. We are not Moses. We are not Elijah. Stop quoting to me, David. Psalm 35. Are you wiser than Jesus? Yes, David prayed implicatory prayers. But do you know why he prayed that? And do you know under which dispensation he did that? Stop talking to me about this quote-unquote man of God who is cursing members. And who told me who is the standard? Stop talking to me about someone perhaps who you respect, who has cursed some people and it has happened. Don't tell me about that. Our standard has to be Jesus. And, and that is why Jesus came. He not only came to die, he also came to reveal a new way, a new life of how we are supposed to live, especially when it comes to dealing with our enemies. Because a Jewish man by nature was a very vengeful man. Jewish people believed in eye for an eye. Jewish people believed in tooth for a tooth. Jewish people, they, 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 they don't spare fools gladly. Even Jesus said it. He said, the reason why you have permission to divorce your spouse is because of the hardness of your heart. That's why. We give you permission. Jews were very hard people. 
But Jesus came to change that. And that and 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 in, and in that it, it could become an offense because they will see him as he's very soft. But that's Christianity. Don't seek for the death of your enemy. Don't pray curses on your enemy. In the Bible, the person who should be the standard is Jesus, not David, not Abraham, not Joshua, not Moses. Not Elijah. You can't tell me that because Elijah called bears to come and kill people who were laughing at him because he had a bald spot on his head. That is what we are going to practice. If there is anybody we will have to practice and live our lives that we can say that of a truth, we are in consonance with virtue, we are in consonance with truth, it has to be Jesus. And listen to me again. Your growth in Christianity, your maturity in the things of God, it speaks loudly when you have enemies. How will you deal with your enemies? If if you are a pastor, how will you deal with people you have blessed, you have loved, you have supported, you have pastored, and then they leave your church? And then they don't just leave quietly on top, but they also say nasty things about you. How will you deal with it? Pastor, how will you deal with it when an associate pastor you have invested so much into breaks away and leaves your ministry and takes half of the members? You see, those actions is what shows that whether you are truly a disciple, not speaking in tongues, not saying I'm going to read about, not saying I'm going to do some ritual, but yet we have a stony heart. You know the problem with us we, we, we like to do rituals, yet we have a stony heart. We don't have a heart of flesh. And that's why we can pray some prayers like, let the curses go to his children and his children's children. Why do you even want to curse a grandson who has not yet been born? Just because... You have a problem with the grandfather. I think today we have to really amend our ways and truly be Christ-like. I don't care about any man of God or any hero of the Bible. What will be my modus operandi is if this is what Jesus do, this is how we are supposed to do it. No matter how hard it might seem, it might even make me cry. It might even affect my ego and my will and and deflate me and put me in a very uncomfortable space. But it's important for us to truly be a disciple, a learner, a follower, a pupil of Christ, if truly we say we are his disciples. So in Christ's final hours to his crucifixion, he taught us by example how to love the unlovable. Everybody here will face or is facing, or has faced someone who is difficult to love. That's the reality. But by this scripture this morning, Jesus is telling us that to love them. He didn't pay evil for evil, but he rendered good for evil. That is what truly shows you are a Christian. Now, let us read from verse 31 to verse 35. 
Today, me too, I'm a prophet. I wrote in my notes, they will be quiet. Capital letters, yes. And I see it's working. There's 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, we will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, it was time for Jesus to die and he called it glory. And I've explained this in John chapter 12 where Jesus compared his death to glory and then he used seed that unless a grain of wheat, which is like a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it will abide alone. But when it dies, it sprouts off new life, it grows, and it has many things. Jesus used that analogy. So I've already dealt with that in John chapter 12, so I wouldn't want to talk about that too much. But Jesus talked about a place where he's going, nobody could go there, and that was death. He was going to die. He was going to go into the lowest parts of the earth. Ephesians chapter 4. Nobody could follow him there. It was not an excursion. It's not a child's play. You see, this was not just an ordinary death. This was the death of deaths. Jesus had to deal with death. The Bible said that he tasted death on our behalf. You see, Jesus was not just going to go through the process of death. He was going to face the person of death and rest power from death. And that's why when Jesus resurrected, death, the grave, and hell, they have lost this thing, they have lost their power. You see, so what Jesus was doing was no child's play. It's not an excursion. It was a big thing. He said, where I'm going, none of you can go there. But let me leave you with this commandment. A new commandment I give to you. Yes, you are descendants of Moses. You believe in an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. You believe in killing your enemies. You believe in vengeance. But I give you a new commandment. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that Christ is the lawgiver. That is why he can add or can subtract from the word. Because he's the lawgiver. And that's why God takes offense. Revelation chapter 22. To anybody. That was the last word he gave in the book of Revelation. And then the Bible was canonized. Don't take away from the word. Or don't add to the word. Because if you add or you take away from the word. You are trying to take the place of God. And God will not deal lightly with you. So right here, you see that Jesus is God. He is the lawgiver. And that is why he had the power to introduce something or he also has the power to take away something. A new commandment I give you. And he said, love. He said, by this, people will know 
you are my disciples. You see, thank God for joy. But people will not know you are a disciple by joy. Thank God for peace. But people will not know by peace that you are Christ's disciple. Thank God for holiness. Thank God for being spiritually endowed. You can perform miracles. Yes, you are anointed with the gifts of healing. You can prophesy. You can pray. You are a prayer machine. You can stand on your feet and pray for eight hours nonstop without drinking water. Good. But none of these things will let people know you are Christ's disciple. It's good to be patient. Thank God for patience. But by patience, it's not what people are going to know we are his disciples. Thank God for wisdom. You have wisdom. You can decode mysteries. You, you give mind-boggling solutions to puzzles. Sound advice, sound counsel. But none of these things. It's not by wisdom that we will know that you are indeed his disciple. The Bible says, by love. By love. And especially, it shows in how you deal with your enemy. Let me tell you, it's easy to love people you are on the same page with. It's easy to love your wife if she doesn't get on your nerves. It's easy to love your husband if he doesn't become that little boy who is nagging you. It's easy to love that daughter who gives you straight A's and she goes to school, goes to college, never got pregnant out of wedlock. And I love you. It's easy to say that. But love will show when you are at odds. And that's where your discipleship comes into question. Are you a disciple? Do you love? Because the Bible lets us know by love, indeed, we are his disciples. And now, Jesus moves on to the second betrayer. And let's read about him in the last two verses. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? I love Simon Peter a lot. Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. The, the, the Jewish audience can't follow me, and you, my disciples, too, can't follow me. So don't think it's exclusive. Don't think you have access to go where I'm going. No, it applies to all of you. You also can't go there. Can't follow me there. Because it's no child's play. But you shall follow me afterward. Verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. That's the second betrayer. So, in effect, it wasn't only Judas that betrayed Jesus. Peter also betrayed Jesus. And Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray him. And despite him knowing he was going to betray him, he still said, you will follow me afterward. He didn't repel him because of the potential betrayal that he was going to do. Yes, gentlemen, this should be a sober message to all of us. 
we should come to a place where Christianity has to really change our lives. And people have to see that you are truly a Christian. But look, if people can't see that you are truly a Christian, and you are in for a joke or a game, your Christianity has to be seen. It has to be felt. It has to be experienced. It has to be touched. And the way that it can become tangible to your audience is love. Jesus knew two disciples would betray him, yet he washed their feet. He washed their feet. He ate with them on his on, 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 a, a, a day to his death. He ate with his betrayers, two of them, because of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. But the fact that love covers a multitude of sins doesn't mean love condones the sin. It doesn't. And it also doesn't mean love enables the sinner. Try and get that very clear. Because sometimes we can confuse love with a a mushy feeling and that's not love. And that's why I will encourage you to listen to Pastor Jessica's message she did on Wednesday, two Sundays ago. Two Wednesdays, I'm sorry, about three weeks ago, on what does it mean to be a Christian? Just listen to the message. And she says so much. Throughout the Bible, there are two things that will show you are truly a Christian understanding and applying the doctrine of righteousness shows that you are truly a Christian, you are growing and you are maturing. And then number two, love. I can't find any other thing that will distinguish and mark you distinctly as one who is of Christ and who is of Christ's ilk than these two. So as we can see from our passage today, love is a genuine mark of a disciple. I pray that whoever we have ought against God give us the heart to forgive them and love them. Whoever we've become enemies, that we are on other sides of the fence, God expand our hearts and give us the capacity to love. Yes, the dynamics of the relationship might not be the same. You might never have the opportunity to become friends as you became, and that's okay. For some relationships, it's even wise that it doesn't happen again. But at least have love. Be free of bitterness and have forgiveness. To the point that when God ministers you to do a kind act or do something that is of praiseworthy, you'll be able to do it without less hesitation. Today, love. That's what we are talking about. So, thank God that we worship. Thank God we read our Bible. But if you don't have love, your discipleship is really in question. Let me end with Minister Lily's quote. She said, if you see somebody love, you have seen Jesus. And that is the pinnacle of Christian living. What is after a pinnacle? There's nothing more. 
That's, that's, that's it. The chiefest. Just the apex of it. If you see someone love, indeed you have seen Jesus. You have seen one who has professed to be of his disciple. So I pray in the name of Jesus that as we wrap up volume three, the whole pie of the message I want you to get from volume three is that I will be a disciple. It's not just about learning about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus healing the blind man who couldn't see, or Jesus saying that I am the good shepherd. All that is good. But transmit all the knowledge into an action point that I'm going to love, especially the difficult ones and the unlovable ones, because I want to be a real, genuine Christian, and the mark of it will show because I have love for one another. Thank you, Lord. May we become genuine disciples, Lord. May we not believe in evil for evil. May we repay good for evil. Lord, help us to bless our enemies. Do good to those that persecute us. Pray for them. Show them love. Be charitable towards them. Because we really want to be a disciple. Father, we have no other arguments or any other reason why we should follow anybody else than just you. And we want to do it your way because of the truth. We really want to be a disciple, a follower, a learner, and a pupil of you. Father, all the knowledge that we have concerning Christianity may become actionable in our lives because of the virtue of love. Oh, Father, I pray that in this month of December, let somebody say that you are a Christian because of love. Let that be our testimony. We don't just want to read it in the scriptures, but may it be seen in our lives, oh Lord, that it will minister to our audience and whoever our audience may be, our friends, family, strangers, whoever, Lord, may love be seen in action. May it be real in our lives. We don't just want to talk about it. We thank you, Lord, for this series and for every revelation, every nugget, every wisdom that you have shown to us, O oh Lord. Father, above it all, we pray that all that we get out of this series is to be a hardcore disciple of you. Thank you, Lord, that you are enabling us and you are giving us the power to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Time for communion.